You know, I realize that in some ways I'm speaking on this radio broadcast and these podcasts to a Christian elite. You may not think of yourself as elite, but uh, people who listen to detailed studies like this in the Book of Romans are a sort of dying breed, regrettably. Uh, years ago, when I was young, uh, this, uh, at least in certain circles, the Book of Romans was an enormously exciting, uh, controversial book that uh, that brought the gospel to the fore um, in the midst of uh, a load of um, of delusional thinking about the gospel and a lot of indifference. We're in a post-Christian era. So I say that with a little bit of uh, nostalgia and sorrow, but also with hope, because I believe that one day, not in my lifetime probably, one day someone will hear these messages almost by accident and will become a firebrand of uh, uh preaching or teaching, realizing that he has just heard the truth at its core about Jesus and the salvation of the human uh, race, and he will uh, carry that message all over the place. I I have that dream, I have that hope, and uh, who knows, uh, that fledgling uh, uh, mission-inspired person may be listening today. Well, we're looking at Romans 8, and uh, we're looking at this uh, chapter, which is talking about freedom from the power of death. Jesus has brought resurrection, freedom from the power of death. And uh, Paul has said that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he said that because he's summarizing chapter 7, which is that we are now delivered from the law, delivered from the judgment and the uh, demands of the law, delivered from or freed from the law, dead to the law. And he explains why that's necessary now uh, and says, for what, in verse 3, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, here you're about to walk into asphalt and uh, goo because this passage, that is, for the Christian elite, has so often been misunderstood. What people think it's saying is that what the law couldn't do because of our sinfulness, God then enabled it to do. That's what some people think this is saying, in that God sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and by his own life condemned sin in the flesh so that now that we have Christ, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So Jesus uh, comes along brings us his atoning death in order, to, in order to forgive us of all of our past sins, and then gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the righteousness of the law. It sounds like that, doesn't it? But I want to tell you that that is an 
elaborately, well, it's not elaborate, but an astonishingly inaccurate interpretation of this passage. And it is clear from the whole tenor of the book of Romans that that is not what Paul means. So uh, let's go back. But but, uh, let me say something more before we do go back. You see, I used to uh, believe what I just said as a legalist years and decades ago. And you might have as well. And what that does is to confuse the mind very quickly because you pick up grains, or more than grains, wonderful boulders of good news in uh, the book of Romans, that we are accounted righteous without the works of the law, that while we are ungodly, we are, decl- we are justified. And all this is so encouraging to our spirit. And then when we get to Romans 8 here, it seems, and it seemed in those past decades ago, that it was all snatched away by this corrupt understanding of these verses. Because I thought, oh, oh, I thought I was accounted righteous, but now the law has to be fulfilled in me by this sanctified living, and I, I just don't have much hope of that. Especially if you're struggling with addictions, you would think to yourself that there's little hope for you that the law, the righteousness of the law will be fulfilled in you. So it's a really uh, traumatizing experience for, um, not to overdo it, but the elite Christians who take the book of Romans and uh, the scriptures seriously. So what's it all about then? Well, first of all, let's look at verse 3 again. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. What does that mean? That means the law could not produce righteousness in us because it was suddenly brought up short against the flesh, that is, human nature, the fallen human nature. The law could not produce righteousness in a corrupt, fallen human nature. That alone ought to Uh, be enough uh, for the legalist to throw up his hands and say, oh, I see, I've been wrong all along. I cannot uh, find righteousness through the law. Yes, that's right. You cannot, and you should have learned it. The law could not do what it was designed to do to lead us to righteousness because now the human nature has been corrupted. But God did what the law could not do. So what did God do that the law could not do? Well, the next part of verse 3 of Romans 8, God did by sending his own son. Let me get the connection for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, Jesus was not a sinner, but he came in human nature. God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, notice something here. For sin, and for sin, or as my translation, the revised King James Version says, on account of sin. That's very important. For sin, on account of sin. In other words, in the likeness of of sinful flesh, 
Jesus coming as a, a sinner and a fallen human being, not that he ever sinned, in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. How did he condemn sin in the flesh? By taking the judgment for it at his death. Now, the perfectionist, and I was one of them, a legalist years ago, um, thinks that that says he condemned sin in the flesh by living a perfectly good life. Satan would say, nobody can obey the law. So God says, well, I will send my son in, the in normal human flesh, and you will see he can obey the law. And he obeyed the law. He condemned sin in the flesh. That's what people, legalists, think this is saying. But they miss the point by simply passing over for sin, that phrase, for sin, on account of sin. God did what the, what the law could not do. He condemned sin in the flesh. He put, he condemned sin in the flesh by that act of judgment dying for sin, dying as a condemnation for sin, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So what then is that righteous requirement of the law? What does the law require? Does that mean the law finally gets its way to make us righteous? No, that cannot possibly be because of verse 3 and the whole tenor of Romans, for that matter. But remember verse 3, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. It could not do it. So what then is the righteous requirement of the law? The righteous requirement of the law is Jesus Christ. The law does not point to itself. According to Romans chapter 3, we become conscious of sin by the law, not conscious of righteousness. You may seek to obey the law and conform to it in every manner possible, and still at the end of the day, if you were not in denial, you would still only be conscious of sin as you look at the law. Because remember what Paul said earlier in chapter 7, the law is spiritual and you and I are carnal. So what then is the righteous requirement of the law? It is to point to Jesus Christ as the Savior. The law reveals such a brokenness of human nature that it makes Jesus, the atoning sacrifice, the Messiah, an absolute necessity. God gave the law, you remember, in Moses. Did he give it for righteousness? There are some confusing passages, I grant you, in the book of Exodus and other places. But let me ask you this. What was the call of the law? For remember, there were evening and morning sacrifices every single day in, uh, in uh, um, Israel's history of the temple and the sanctuary. What were those morning and evening sacrifices for? They were meant to take the sins of Israel upon the sacrifice morning and night. 
and even Israel was called when each member of Israel became conscious of an individual sin to take a a lamb or an animal and take it to the tabernacle for sacrifice. And so what then was the law there for? It was there to make Israel aware of its brokenness and sin so that the morning and evening sacrifices on their behalf would become meaningful. So then, have you received Christ as your Savior? If you have, then the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in you. For the purpose of the law was not to make you righteous, for it makes you only conscious of sin. The purpose of the law was to make you so conscious of sin that you went, or went running, if you like, to the Savior Jesus Christ for mercy from God. The righteous requirement of the law is not to make you a morally outstanding person. The righteous requirement of the law is to humble you and say, oh, and cause you to say, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This broadcast comes to, uh, by the way, my name's Colin Cook. Thanks for listening today. It comes to you by listener support. That is to say, I don't work for KLTT. I pay KLTT for radio time. It costs me $39 per 15 minutes, which is $200 for a week's programs approximately, and $890 to $900 per month for a month's programs. If you would like to keep the program on the air, it's now, by the way, in its 26th year, send a donation or make a donation online at faithquestradio.com. Or you can send your donation to FaithQuest, P.O. Box 366, Littleton, Colorado, 80160. I thank you for your support. Thank you also for your little notes. See you next time. Cheerio and God bless.